Turn with uh, me to Philippians chapter 4, if you will. Philippians chapter 4. This series that we're in during uh, this time is called Feed Your Mind. And we're talking about uh, the mental struggles that we have as uh, individuals and especially as Christians right now during uh, this pandemic season that we're in, as it's being called. Looking at the mental health issues... Uh, not in a psychological way. Uh, That's not my area of expertise. That's not my job. Uh, But in a way that as believers, we need to realize and understand that we too face mental struggles. We face those issues that every other human being on the earth that is going through this time right now faces. But it's different for us as followers of Christ because we have the promise of God that he will keep fighting for us through all of this time. And he fights for us by giving us his word, by breaking those chains, by being willing to do all this. You realize if you're watching, hello to those of you who are watching us on Facebook Live, by the way. You realize those of you who are here and those of you who are watching, God wants to break those chains for you. He wants to fight for you right now. But unless you're willing to allow him to do that, then it means nothing for you at all. They're just words on a page. They're just thoughts in a mind. Unless you're willing to to allow God to fight your battles, unless you're willing to allow God to begin to break those chains that bind you, the chains... Uh, the mental struggles that we're dealing with because that's where this battle is being fought. Remember, the overwhelming majority of Americans have not had this virus. I mean, the overwhelming... I think if you were... I don't do that kind of higher math that quickly in my head, but it's less than 1% of our society has this virus or has had this virus. Yet 330 million plus people are feeling the effects of it. So for, the, for us, the battle truly is in our mind. And as Christians, the battle is most truly in our minds, which affects our spirit. So that's what we're looking at in this series. We're looking at how we as believers deal with this, how we can deal with this, how we fight back, and how we stand up to the struggles that we're going through. Philippians chapter 4, <laughs> beginning at verse 4, Once again, can you see the Dunkin' Donuts on there? Because this is product placement. We're looking for an endorsement. Okay? So I'm just... Okay. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 8 say, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What I just said before we read that stands true. The peace of God comes after you go to God with your requests. When you give God your struggles, when you give him your difficulties, when you give him the the struggle that you're going through, that then activates his power in your life, and he begins to bring to your heart and your mind and your spirit the peace that goes beyond anything you can understand. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. That's the solution right now. Clear your mind of all the garbage, of all the negativity, of all the disaster thoughts of what's going to come down, what's going to happen in a year, what's going to happen in two years. Clear your mind of all that and start thinking about the things of God. Start thinking about the things that God wants for you in your life right now, what he's calling you to do right now. Yes, there are plans that need to be put in place for our future, but you need to live right now. If you you ignore the now of your life, you don't have to worry about the future because the future is, uh, is going to be bleak. Take care of the now. And believers, we've got to do that. We've got to take care of our now. So, so far in this series, 
uh, we've understood that we really are candidates for mental struggles, and we've looked at the mental challenges that come with anxiety. The first one we looked at was anxiety and stress. And then we finished up last week looking at fear. And this next message, actually, it's going to be uh, about three short messages, a short series of three messages. We're going to be looking at the mental challenge that is posed by anger. The mental challenge that is posed by anger. We've now entered, uh, I think, during this, during this whole COVID-19 situation, as individuals, as Christians, and as a nation, we've gone through some different phases already. We went through the panic phase. Remember the panic phase? It seems like it was years ago. Remember the panic phase when you couldn't find toilet paper anywhere? Still can't. I, I scored paper towels yesterday. I felt like I needed to hide them under a blanket or something and, and sneak out of the store, right? Remember the panic phase when <clears throat> just irrational fear led to panic buying? Then after that, I, I think we kind of went through a honeymoon phase where it was kind of novel. It was a novelty. You know, people were like, oh, we're chilling out at home, and everybody was, taking, everybody was taking pictures. People were writing songs. I saw one old lady wrote the COVID blues, right? And people are singing, and they're making these videos. And, and uh, people were, uh, were, were online, and they were, it, was all, it was all like a, a party for a little while. And that didn't last too long. Then it went to the fear phase once it started setting in that this was here for a while. It started setting in. And for those of you who, who watch us that, aren't, that don't live in Massachusetts or don't live in the Northeast, um, first of all, be thankful for that right now because uh, we're, we're in it for a long haul. Boston just shut down everything for the summer. They shut down all festivals and all out there. Boston shut down the, basically the city for the summer which tells you that this is going to be here for a while. And it's now, it, it, it entered a fear phase. And, and after that fear phase, and people got a hold of a little bit of, of their fear, and they started realizing what it truly meant to their lives and their livelihoods, I believe we're now entering the angry phase. And that's the phase that really, really concerns me. Because... I, I put this later on in my message, but let me just say this. I was talking to a couple of gentlemen this morning uh, from the worship team. When your first protest is with a rifle in your hands, there's, not, there's nowhere else to go <laughs> from that point. We are seeing anger bubble over. Almost a, a, a huge majority of states have seen uh, protests in our country, and people are getting very, very tired of what's uh, of what is being, what is happening, what is going on. People are tired of being locked down. Many are being, many are tired of being told what to do. Many are tired of who, what they call, and this is where the anger. This is not my words. This is just what I'm, I'm reading. Many are, are tired of what they call tyrants in office, and still others are tired of those who are tired of everything else. Right? You've got people on one side who are tired of being, what they say is being pushed around, and on the other side, you've got people who are tired of those people who think they're being pushed around. And it doesn't, it doesn't bode well for unity. It just makes people angry. We've seen citizens and law enforcement in several states stand nose to nose lately. We're seeing individuals being willing to go to jail just so they could open up their business and feed their children. This is the angry phase. We are not immune from that as followers of Christ. That's setting in on us. We have to deal with everything else that's going on. We have to deal with all, all the, the struggles and the challenges that are going on. I, I was on a phone call Thursday night with a group of men, and a, and a man joined the call and this one, this one, I'm gonna be honest, guys, this one kind of shook me a little bit. He joined the call two hours before he had lost his mother to the virus, and he wasn't able to see her. He wasn't able to be with her just before Mother's Day. I mean, that's tough. That's a tough thing to face. 
It's difficult. So just because we're followers of Christ doesn't mean we're immune to what's going on. What it means is that we have tools at our disposal that we need to access and use so we can deal with these things. So these mental struggles and these issues that we face don't overwhelm us. Among adults, 45% of American adults say the pandemic has affected their mental health. 45% of all American adults say the pandemic has affected their mental health. And 19%, one out of every five, say it has had a major impact on their mental health. Some of you that are watching and some who are with us in the, from the, in the, in the congregation work in those areas where you deal with people and their mental health. And you know that those are huge numbers to be so so early into what is going on. Calls to the National Distress Hotline a couple weeks ago, I, said, I told you they were up 800%. They are now up, to, up over 1,000%. Calls to the National Crisis Suicide Hotline. And they have received over 20,000 texts as well. While two healthcare workers in New York City and one prominent pastor just a couple days ago have committed suicide. Mental health experts project that upwards of 65,000 people, 65,000 people will commit suicide for reasons directly connected to the stress of the virus. And overdose deaths, according to the experts in that field, could rise by as many as 22,000 above normal numbers. If you put those two together, that means that through suicide and overdose, because of the virus, the amount of deaths that they're projecting would be more than those number, the number of people who have died in America from the virus itself. This is real stuff. These are real challenges. But none of that fully takes into account the anger issue that's about to boil over in our country. Reported domestic violence reports around the world and in the U.S. are estimated to be up 20%, which means if you've worked with people who are in domestic violence situations, <laughs> you'll know this, that a, a small percentage of those who are in those situations report those situations. So when the numbers say 20%, the reports are up 20%, you can be guaranteed that there's more domestic violence than that going on in our country and around the world. In fact, experts in the domestic violence field predict an, extra, an added 15 million reports of domestic violence worldwide because of the pandemic. While some states begin to open, in a couple states in our country today, uh, believers are able to go to church uh, in, in Texas, uh, Ed Young, his church in Texas uh, started. They've got several services going on today, and they're doing it by reservation. And I, I read, and, and his father's church is opening up today as well, and I read some of the comments, uh, and, and man, there were Christians coming back hard at these pastors for opening up. People are afraid, there's fear, and there's anger being expressed can you imagine that? Do you ever think you'd live in a day and age in America where people would be angry that churches are opening up for service? It's amazing. All of this and more add up to an increase in tension in frustration and anger, which has the potential to soon bubble over into violence. Now, this is not a sermon to decry anything or, or to take a stand or side with anyone or against anything. I'm not calling for a movement to rise up. It's not what I'm doing. That's not my concern. That's not my job as a pastor. I state these numbers and facts to show that we're now living in a world that can best be described, in my opinion, as a powder keg. If we as followers of Jesus don't actively take steps to protect our own mental health, then me, we may very well become part of the problem, not the solution. Remember when this all started and when churches were, when our doors were shuttered and we, everybody started going online 
and there was all kinds of enthusiasm for it, right? We get to be the church. We get to be the church. We get to be the church. Well, how much of the church are you being right now? That's my question. What are you doing to actively be the church? And are you willing to continue to be the church here in Massachusetts? Let, uh, those of you who are watching us on Facebook, let me just tell you this. My expectation is that we won't be back in service through the summer. That's my expectation. I, I don't, as soon as they, as soon as the government, the governor allows us to get up to a, a capacity of 50 in a group, then we'll start running multiple services so we can get back together. But this is going to be a long time. How long are you willing to be the church without being able to come to church? You see, that's where this anger will lead to. I'll, I'll, I'll be very honest with you. I have had my moments of anger about this. I'm not immune from it. There has been a part, there's a part of me that uh, I have two eight-year-old sons, and you would not believe the things that they're expected to do for school right now. My eight-year-old boys, who both have IEPs, are expected to pull up, a pull up a Google document and make a Google document and submit it to their teacher. I'm 57 years old. I struggle with making a Google document. There are, and, and, and there's more. And, and these kind of things can get you angry if you allow them to get you angry. The fact that, the fact that my, and I'm, I'm being transparent with this, the fact that my job and my, my life's passion and my life's commitment has been dismissed as being non-essential, well, I disagree. And that can make me very angry if I allow it to. And I'm not saying I buy into everything. I'm not saying I'm okay with everything. What I'm saying is this. I am doing my best as an individual, as a follower of Christ, to look into his word and to find what I need for myself to deal with my own struggles and my own mental health so that I can be the husband I need to be, so that I can be the father that I need to be, so that I can be the friend I need to be, and so that I can be the pastor I need to be during this time. I don't want to get caught up in the anger of the moment. I don't want to get caught up in the frustration of the moment. I want to be able to walk with Jesus through all times, just like, just like he told us. Jesus told us times would not always be easy. So there is a way through all of this if we as followers of Jesus don't take deliberate and active steps to understand, identify, and effectively diffuse our own personal anger, we will find ourselves as part of the mob, part of the statistics. Anger is not an emotion that is uncommon to us, and it's not a, an anger that's uncommon to characters that we read about in the Bible, and it's not uncommon to Scripture. We have a lot to, to learn from Scripture about how to deal with our anger. There's some great examples of people who expressed anger. You remember the story, Cain, the very first murder, right? You, those of you who, who, um, who raise sons that are very close in age, um, my boys love each other to death. There are times when they'll, they'll, they share a bedroom. Um, I'll go in in the morning sometimes to wake them up and they're in the same bed. I'll wake them up in the morning and they're, they're laying on the floor together, sleeping. Yet during the day, Lord above. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like I'm, I'm refereeing an MMA competition because they are at each other constantly. And that this story from Genesis kind of puts it in perspective to me. Cain killed his brother Abel, murdered his brother Abel because of anger. Moses. You remember Moses was the deliverer of, e of Israel out of Egypt? Moses lost the promised land because of anger. Moses, the man who God used to lead his children out of Egypt. Moses, the man who parted the Red Sea through the power of God. Moses, the man who... who uh, called water from a rock, expressed anger when he struck the rock the second time, 
when God told him to simply speak to it. And because of that, he was never allowed to set foot in the promised land. Saul was so angry because of jealousy that he tried to murder David. You remember? He picked up his spear and he threw, while David was playing the harp, he threw the spear at David. David got so angry at his own story, the story of the rich man stealing the lamb from the poor man, which was an illustration of David's uh, adultery with Bathsheba and then having her husband killed in battle. He was so angry at his own story that he pronounced his own harsh judgment. Balaam was rebuked by his donkey because of his anger. Jonah missed God's purpose and God's blessing because of anger. So there are, there are a lot of stories in the Bible that talk about anger in a very negative way. Yet, we see in the Gospels that Jesus drew, drove the money changers and the criminals out of the temple in anger. Yet, the Bible tells us that Jesus was the sinless, spotless lamb. So, <clears throat> before... We, we step any further, we've got to understand that anger is an emotion that God has e equipped us with, and anger can be used for good. But we need to make sure that the way we express our anger and what we get angry about are godly reasons. Anger must be dealt with effectively, but first it must be identified. And we hear much about righteous anger, right? Righteous indignation. And that that scripture where Jesus drove the, the, uh, the money changers out of the temple is what people go to all the time. And let's be honest, many times as Christians, we use that as an excuse for getting upset. Oh, that's righteous indignation. Okay, okay. Let's see if our anger, our righteous anger, stands up to the test of the Bible. That's the best way to decide, right? Righteous anger will always be motivated by an offense against God's way, God's word, or God's people. And it will motivate us towards godly attitudes and actions to try to address the situation. You see, righteous anger is not the kind of anger that just allows you to lose your temper and blow off steam. That's not righteous anger. That's not righteous indignation. That's sin, and we'll see that as we get into this series. Righteous anger is not the kind of anger that causes you to riot against the government because you feel like your rights are being trampled upon. Whether they are or not, that'll be decided in the courts. But righteous anger does not motivate you to rebel against the government. You say, well, I have that right as an American. Well, I'm sure Jesus had that right as a Jew, but he never took it. He never, he never used it. Jesus would have rather uh, reached people with his love than express his anger in such a way that it uh, caused trouble. Honestly, more times than not, the anger we feel and express as followers of Jesus is not that righteous anger. But rather, it's the anger that is normal and typical for human beings. That's the anger that we all deal with. The great task for us is to learn about anger according to the Bible and to learn to deal with, it in accord, deal with it according to and with biblical principles. That's what we have to do. And I believe that this is incredibly timely for us right now. As Christians, if you're watching us on Facebook, I believe this is incredibly timely for us as followers of Christ because we can very easily lend our voice to the cries, to the outcries, to the, to the anger and frustration that is bubbling up. What we're called to do is be uh, voices of calm and reason, voices of, of sanctuary for people. We should, we should be the people who allow others to uh, let go of their frustrations to us and speak peace back to them, or as Toby Mac sings, speak life back to them. That's what we should be doing. So how do we do it? What does the Bible tell us about our anger and how to deal with it? The first thing is this. Sinful anger comes from us. Sinful anger 
comes from us. Anger comes from our imperfect nature. Sinful anger comes from our imperfect nature as humans. <laughs> said that Cain killed Abel. Cain didn't kill Abel out of righteous indignation. Cain killed Abel because he was a, hum a fallen human being who was upset that God didn't accept his offering but accepted his brother's. And he was so angry about it that he took his own brother's life. I'm, I can't imagine. So anger comes from our imperfect nature as humans. Secondly, anger comes from our, selfish, our selfishness and desire to have our own way. Let's be honest. Anger comes from our own selfishness and desire to have our own way. Those of you who have children, when they fight, it's not usually over who's going to be able to do more chores, right? It's not usually about who's going to do the, uh, to do the extra things to make mom and dad's life easier, right? Usually, it's about who's not going to do the chores or who's not going to pick up the basement, who's not going to do this, and who's not going to do that. And for those of you who are raising twin sons, get ready, because it will be over um, one taking the other's bike when he has his own bike sitting right there, and it's the exact same thing. It's selfishness. That's where anger comes from. <laughs> James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 give us our biblical basis for this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And let's take that scripture and apply it to anger and to a calm spirit. The anger is there because of selfishness. You do not have peace in your spirit because you don't ask God for it. Let's be honest. When, how much time are you praying right now? How much time are you spending in prayer right now over your mental health issues? Do you watch the cable news networks more so that you can get infuriated by what's going on more than you Spend time in prayer asking God to help you. Not to help. Listen, I know we're commanded to pray for our leaders. I get that. We're commanded to pray for our country. I get that. We're commanded to pray for others. I get that. But the first person you should be praying for is for yourself. So asking God to heal you within, within, to heal your mind, to heal your spirit, to guard you against these things so that you can then pray for other people and minister to other people. You see, you'll never win the battle of, of strong mental health and you'll never keep your anger under control if you don't first take it to God. Third thing I see is that anger comes from jealousy and envy in our hearts. As a pastor, I gotta be honest, wouldn't mind picking up my church and putting it in Texas this morning. Because all those people that are calling me and talking to me and messaging me saying, Pastor John, we just can't wait to get back to church. Just can't wait to get back to church. We can't, just can't wait to get back to church. Would be able to come to church. And that could, that could cause envy to rise up within me as a pastor. Instead, I say, God, we're having a reach now. I, I, I took a longer prayer drive last night than normal. I just felt led to, to pray more. And as I was driving, it, it just hit me that, listen, we're, we're having thousands of people watch our sermons. I could never do that on my own. There's, no, there's nothing about me. I mean, I'm not that nice of a guy. I'm, I'm that, my personality is not such that I draw people to me, right? Yet people are watching People are, are coming to hear our worship team and, and to hear the message. That's all God. That's all God doing that. And I would rather, if we're going to have to walk this road, let me be honest with you, if we're going to have to walk this road, I would rather give it all to God and allow him to lead 
than for me to get angry and upset and jealous over other pastors who can go ahead and have church just like normal. Because if I give it to God and I give that jealousy and anger, and if I give that jealousy and envy to him, it will never turn into anger. And I'll be able to see God's plan through all of this, and I'll be able to be more effective in my role for him. <clears throat> and next, anger stems from a negative attitude, a negative perception, or a negative reaction. Ephesians 4.29 says, No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need, so that it gives grace to those who hear. Whew, man, doesn't that hit home? Doesn't that hit home for us right now? There should be no negative words coming out of our mouth. No angry words. No crass words come out of our mouth. No foul language come from our mouth. Only what can build people up. Can I challenge those of you who are, are, are sheltered in at home with your family? That verse applies to your family as well from you. Fathers, husbands, we shouldn't be taking our envy and frustration and our anger out on our family. And then knowing, knowing that they're going to forgive us, go and apologize later. What we should be doing is working on ourselves, saying, hey, I need to get myself right. I need to get myself right so that I can treat my family right. The second thing I see about anger is that your anger is never the right response. Your anger is never the right response. You should not come back in anger. I mean, this doesn't just deal with the, the pandemic. This deals with life in general. <laughs> if you don't get your way, if, you do, if, if people don't want to do things your way, what do you do? Do you say, hey, I gave it a shot, now I need to get in line and start following the plan? Or do you get angry? Do you get bitter? And you say, I'm not going to be part of that. They don't know what they're doing. And your anger is never the right response. Your anger is never the right response. James 1, verses 19 and 20. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Listen, I'm going to say it whether you like it or not, okay? When you get angry over a situation, when you think or even when you know you're right and people aren't listening to you, when you get angry and express anger, you are not being a righteous person. You're not being a godly follower of Jesus Christ. That's according to the book of James. Because your anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. In other words, you are not showing God's love and God's way to the other person, and you're not allowing God's Holy Spirit to direct your life. You're being selfish, and you're spouting off in anger, and you're not doing anything that resembles God's plan. <clears throat> Proverbs 29, verse 22 says, an angry person stirs up conflict, and a, uh, a hot-tempered person commits many sins. There are not many times in my life where I have lost my temper. Not many, not many, I can probably count them on uh, one hand, maybe two, where I've truly lost my temper. But man, I'll tell you what, I regret every time I did because I didn't do anything of value during those times. Ugly, nasty, ridiculous. An angry person stirs up conflict and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. And if you're that kind of person that says, well, I just need to let off steam and I'll apologize later, you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. Because just like that boiling pot on the stove, when you take the lid off of it, how many times, Drew, how many times have you been burned by steam? They're the worst burns, they're the worst burns of mound, man. Steam burns, they're terrible. Oh, I hate them. They're terrible. When I used to work restaurants, when I used to cook, steam burns are terrible, right? Working Boston Market, 
open that up. Oh, man. When you let off steam at somebody else, they're the ones getting burned. And that's not right, that's not fair, and that's not God's way. We've got to get our anger under control. Psalm 37, verses 5 through 9. <clears throat> Excuse me. Be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. Do not be agitated by one who prospers in the way, by the person who carries out evil plans. Refrain from... Man, listen to that. Even people, not, not just being angry or jealous over those who are prospering right now, but even those who have evil plans and are, are, are practicing evil plans and putting into, putting into reality evil plans. The Bible tells us, don't lose your cool. Don't get angry over those kind of things. Refrain from anger and give up your rage. Give up your rage. That is, that is a, a, an active, personal decision for you to give up your rage in a situation. It takes practice. We're going to talk about that. It takes practice. It's hard work. The easy way out is to lose your temper, right? The easy way out is to lose your temper. Oh, I feel so much better. Yeah, but look at the, look, look at the, the nuclear holocaust you've left behind. <clears throat> do not be agitated it can only bring harm for evildoers will be destroyed but those who put their hope in the Lord will inherit the land you know who evildoers includes not just the person that you get jealous over because they're prospering not just the person you judge because they're doing evil but because you're not accomplishing God's righteousness it includes you for losing your temper you're not the righteous who will prosper in the land. The one who will be considered righteous and will prosper and will have God's blessing and God's favor is the one who has that anger and temper under control and allows God to use them in the situation. You're not going to be able to defuse every situation you face. That's, that's foolhardy to think. But you will be able to control yourself and be right with God if you do that. The next thing I see is that we need to learn to discern good anger from bad anger. Are, you, are your feelings towards insults, slights, and offenses justifiable reasons for anger? Are your feelings towards insults, slights, and offenses justifiable reasons for anger? So I was at Big Y this morning. Wanted to uh, buy my mom a couple lobsters for their lunch today for Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, by the way, to all the moms. Sorry, I didn't say that. How, how, how rude of me. I apologize for that. Have those of you watching, happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. I'm, I'm so sorry. That's, uh, that was just, what a, you can tell I'm a father, right? What a jerk. What an idiot I am. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. That's terrible. That's terrible. All you moms out there, I apologize. I apologize. All right? I wish I could buy you all lobster for lunch. But, wow, I feel this big right now. <laughs> but I uh, wanted to buy my mom, uh, Aaron's idea, she wanted to buy my mom lobsters, and my dad too, because he's going to eat with her, um, lobsters for lunch. And so I called over to Big Y last night and wanted to reserve it. We're not taking reservations. It's first come, first serve. Like, oh, oh, we're in Massachusetts. Lobster is our state bird. Uh, come on, seriously. It's our state bird. It's our state fish. It's our state dog. It's our state cat. Lobster is what we're all about, right? My goodness. But <clears throat> so I had to get up this morning and go to Big Y and get them. And I, was, I had to stand in line. It was a line about 10 or 12 people deep. And once I got in line, after a few minutes, I looked behind me, and the line was snaking around past the pizza area into the, into the, uh, into the fresh fruits and vegetables. It was amazing. Amazing. And I'll tell you what, this is the point of all of this. While I was standing in line, I'm looking around, and there were people walking up to the line with their carts, and they're looking at the seafood, and people coming from both directions. And don't you know, everybody in that line was looking at those people walking up, saying, oh, no. No, no, no. Line's back here. 
right? Get to the back of the line, brother. You could see people were waiting. Were wait. There were some, not everybody, but there were some people through their masks. You could see it in their eyes, right? They're waiting to pounce. No. In fact, after I ordered, I had to wait for them to be cooked. So I was standing over with another guy uh, after a while, just standing there waiting. And somebody in the line looked at us like, you know, he had that look on his face. He's like, are you in line? Like, oh, no, 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 no. Picking up. I didn't have to wait that long, man. We're just picking up. People are ready right now to go off at any moment. How are we supposed to respond to that? Are your feelings towards insults, slights, and offenses justifiable reasons for anger? Whether or not somebody goes off on you, is that justifiable as a, fo as a follower of Christ to go back, go off on them? Ask yourself this, is your anger an overreaction? Does your anger escalate the matter? Does your anger make you look foolish, out of control, and lacking in biblical character and self-control? Because remember, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Does the anger you express, even if it's towards somebody who has insulted or slighted you, are you now responding to them with the fruit of the Spirit? Proverbs 14, 29 says, A patient person shows great understanding, but a quick-tempered one promotes foolishness. Proverbs 29, 11 says, A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise person holds it in check. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise person holds it in check. What we do see is that actual God-endorsed and Bible-supported reasons for anger are very narrow in scope. Actual God, God-blessed, if we could call it that, is that fair? If we can say God-blessed and God-endorsed anger and expressions of anger are very narrow in scope. Is it an offense against God's way? Is it an offense against God's word? Is it an offense against God's people? Listen, I'll tell you one thing that angers me and it motivates me to prayer because there's not anything else I can do about it right now. <laughs> I get angry because Christians in other countries, in Muslim countries, I'll say it, Christians in Muslim countries are executed for practicing their faith. They aren't given a ticket. They aren't given a fine. They aren't told to put a mask on. They're executed. That, dwell, that develops in me a righteous indignation. Yes, I know, man, when someone, the, the Bible says that uh, precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. But it doesn't mean we go out and just slaughter Christians simply because they believe in Jesus. And what I do, what that anger does in my heart is motivate me to pray. I can't change their situation, but I sure can pray that God will protect them, will watch over them. Every Saturday night, as I, I pray for our churches in our area, pray for the churches around our, our state, our country, and around the world, I pray, God, those churches in China that are meeting underground, the churches in the Muslim countries that are meeting underground in Iran, we have someone who downloads, downloaded our podcast in Iran. I pray for that person because it probably would go badly for them if they, if they were found out. I pray that God would protect them and give them grace and courage to face those things rather than getting angry and getting on a soapbox about it because I can't do anything about it. The best thing I can do is pray. Luke 19 verses 45 and 46 tell us about Jesus. It said, he went into the temple and began to throw out those who were selling those people, what they were doing is, is the followers of Judaism at that time, they were lazy, right? They were lazy, and they didn't want to take the time to, bring, to get the sacrifice so, because back in those days, they were sacrificing under the law for their sins. So what they were doing was they were, they were businessmen setting up uh, stalls in the temple, and they were selling turtle doves. And they were selling items to sacrifice. 
So these people were just, it was just them, it's just like today, people who go to church because they feel it's a religious duty. They weren't making a sacrifice. The, the whole idea of the sacrifices was that you were making a sacrifice out of sacrifice. You were giving, when it came time for the Passover lamb, that Passover lamb was supposed to be the best lamb in your flock. You were supposed to take that lamb and, and take it aside for a period of time so that you could make sure it was a spotless, perf as perfect lamb as possible. But these, these cats that were going to the temple, they were like, eh, I don't worry about it. I'll buy a dove from uh, Ishmael, you know, at, at, over here. So there was nothing from the heart about that. And Jesus saw that. And he said, you've made my house a house of thieves. And he made a whip and he drove them out. And that was righteous anger. Tell you what, if you can respond, if you see a situation like that and you respond in, in the same way Jesus did, then you're justified. But simply going off because somebody doesn't like the version of the Bible you use or somebody doesn't like the style of music at your church or somebody does something differently than you do or somebody doesn't like the Christian author that you like, man, that just doesn't do it. That just doesn't do it. Quickly, how does God expect us to react in angry situations? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 27, verse 31. Therefore, put away lying. Speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members one of another. You want to know why I have such a hard time with people who say it's okay? It's okay. We can still meet online. We can still, and I thank God for it. I praise God for it. But the Bible doesn't tell me to meet online. The Bible tells me to come together as a body. Okay? And I know we, we can't do that right now. But the argument is over when you start saying it's okay. It's okay. We can, listen, the Bible says we're to meet as a body. And that doesn't change just because we have the internet. Okay? We're doing the best we can. But that's my argument for it. Okay? Because we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you, along with all malice. When we give vent to our anger, we're giving Satan an opportunity to take over. And man, once that ball gets rolling, it is so difficult to stop. So hard to stop once it gets going. Don't give Satan the opportunity. Romans 12, 21 says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That doesn't necessarily mean other people. That means the, we're talking about anger, that means the attitude in your heart. Don't be overcome by the attitude of evil and anger in your heart. Overcome evil with good. Listen, <laughs> I know it's tough. I know it's brutally difficult to respond correctly in situations as a follower of Christ. But if we are going to show Jesus to this world, especially now, we cannot be people who lose our temper. We cannot be people who take offense to slights. We cannot be people who get upset and vent, and, and vent that anger because we don't feel our rights are being protected. All that is well and good. I get it. All that is well and good. As American citizens, I get the argument. In fact, I'd probably make them for you if you wanted to have that discussion. But I've avoided those discussions now because in the first couple weeks, I started having them, and it didn't lead to any good. So I've stopped. What I care about now is making sure that I am Jesus to everybody I see, making sure that I am love in my home, and making sure I don't lose control. Because I don't want to keep having to apologize to my wife. I don't want to have to keep apologizing to my sons. I want to come, I want, I want this time, if there's anything, anything that comes out of this beyond, that, that doesn't go beyond my home, I want to become a better version of me as a follower of Christ through all of this. I don't want to give Satan the opportunity to make a fool of me. 
And that's what we're guarding against. Avoid anger when you can. How do you do that? Man, avoid stupid arguments about silly stuff. Seriously. Avoid stupid arguments about silly stuff. Everybody, listen. There are two things I know to be true right now. Two things I know to be true right now. Everybody is an expert in science about viruses, right? Everybody is a Facebook expert about viruses. Just ask them, they'll tell you. And the second thing, they all of a sudden got their law degree in constitutional law. And everybody knows how to interpret the Constitution, and they should all be sitting on the Supreme Court. Right? Folks, avoid those silly arguments. Avoid them. <clears throat> Korea has started playing baseball again. Light, God, is still, God is still shining on the earth. I watched Korean baseball. I can't read the names on the back of the jerseys. But... It's baseball, man. I jokingly said, not really jokingly, but I'll say it because some of you might be fans of NASCAR. I said, um, I'm, so desperate, I'm so desperate for sports. On the 17th, I might watch a NASCAR race. <laughs> right? And I might. I don't know. <sighs> Those are the kind of things that I'll, I, I'll have discussions about. As a Rams fan, the big news for us right now is we changed our logo, man. Changed our logo, and you wouldn't believe it. Oh my goodness, Rams fan pages are heated over the new logo. I love it, I love the new logo. But the one, the one thing they're going too far on, in my opinion, as a Rams fan, is the helmet is gonna be changed. I know, man, the horn on the helmet is gonna be broken up a little bit. Man, the Rams were the first team in the NFL to put logos on their helmet. That's the ultimate in classic. You don't change that. I say that as a joke in, in, in jest, but those are the kind of things that I'm putting my energy into right now for discussion. Not constitutional law and COVID prevention. Avoid those silly, stupid arguments about silly stuff. 2 Timothy 2, verses 23 through 25 say, but reject foolish and ignorant, ignorant disputes because you know, you know, you know that they breed quarrels. The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. Secondly, how else can you avoid anger? Use kind words. Don't insult others. Don't call them names. Don't cuss them out. Okay? Use kind words. I know. Sound like elementary school again, right? Use kind words. Don't insult people. Don't cuss them out. Remember, when all this is over, they may come to church. How are you going to feel facing that person walking down the hall when we're able to have donuts in church again? You offer them a donut and you realize, oh man, that's the dude I cussed out in big Y because he was trying to cut the line to get a lobster. See, it doesn't matter. Honestly, waiting in line right now, where else have you got to go? <laughs> I'm trying to bring levity to the situation. Where else do you have to go? Proverbs 15.1 says, 15, says, a gentle, answer turns, a gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. And thirdly, how do you deal with anger? Give people or yourself time to come around. Not everybody deals with things as easily as you do. Not everybody accepts things as quickly as you do. Not everybody sees things as clearly as you do. So give them time and give yourself time to come around to seeing the truth. 
Proverbs 16.32 says, Patience is better than power, and controlling one's emotions than capturing a city. Patience is better than power. Wow. Wow. Listen, if you want to look at those who are, are in the, their whole job right now is to tell you what to do, your patience is better. In God's eyes, your patience for the situation is better than their power in the situation. Exercise patience. Don't lose your temper. Don't lose control. Learn how to control. Learn how to avoid anger when you can. As we do that, I believe with all my heart, we will become greater lights, greater testimonies for Jesus Christ. As we move through this series, we're going to be looking at more ideas of how to deal with our anger, how to, how to uh, control it with the, with the Bible. And then the last message is after the anger. What do you do after the anger? How do you uh, either mend fences or how do you build on the anger that you're now having under control? I hope that you'll tune in to us again next week. And uh, if you have any questions or any needs, please feel free to message myself or Zach or Osvaldo, one of the pastors, or anybody else, in, uh, one of the deacons, and we'll connect you if you have a, a need in the men's ministry. Contact Lewis, and, uh, and we will we'll more, be more than happy to have a chat with you. You're not alone in this. Uh, and this is not an excuse not to grow in your faith. So I challenge you through all of this time work on these things. Thanks for joining us today. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much <clears throat> for your word. Lord, for how clear it is to us. Lord, it, it addresses every situation in life. There's nothing that we won't face, there's nothing that we will face that we have to face without scriptural principles and teaching. Lord, as we continue through this amazing time of, uh, of struggle and uh, triggers, Lord, anger is the go-to for so many. But Father, you've called us as your children to rise above that and to keep that anger under control. And Father, there are ways that your word has given us to deal with it. I pray that everyone who is watching, everyone who is with us today, will dig into your word and see what your word has to say. God, I pray for myself because, uh, boy, it, it's an easy time, an easy season in life to have a short temper. I pray that I will practice what I've just preached. And God, I pray that we will all do our very, very best to learn from you, to learn about you, and to... Uh, to Put into practice what you have told us how to deal with these things. God, protect your children, protect your church. Lord, there are those who are going to be having church here very shortly. God, as the word goes out around the world right now, people who would never go, never walk into a church are, are watching church right now. God, may your word be empowered by your anointing. <clears throat> May lives be changed. May lives be challenged. May people be one to you. May Christians be encouraged and strengthened. And God, may all we do bring glory to your name. Bless us. Bless those who have watched. Bless those who have been here. Thank you so much for a worship team that is committed to you. Thank you for family members who are committed to you. God, bless the moms today. May they feel special. For those who have lost their mother, God, may you give them fond memories today, fond memories to remind them of the goodness of a good mom. I thank you for my mom. What a wonderful, godly lady. Thank you for my wife, the mother of my two youngest boys. God, I pray that you'll bless them all today. May your name be praised. In your name we pray. Amen.